0: Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show we'll be reviewing the 2016 uh, neo-western film, Hell or High Water, written by Taylor Sheridan. We're also going to take a look at the M. Night Shyamalan 2000 film, Unbreakable, the beginning of the Split and Glass series. Uh, An older flick and a very early superhero film, and I'm excited to see what we think about that. We've got an interesting conversation about Netflix and some recent happenings over there for our Death of Cinema segment in between those movies. And before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news, our first story this week. Kevin Hart still isn't hosting the Oscars. It was six weeks to go. Apparently, the Academy just isn't picking a host. Uh, That's right. Andy, you you found this story. What do you think about
1: this? Okay, so... Kevin Hart was supposed to kind of redeem himself on the Ellen show. He was supposed to apologize again and ask the Academy if he could host. Instead, he doubled down on his comments and refusal to apologize and kind of stubbornness. So that didn't happen. So the the Academy is left kind of waiting to see what they're going to do. Uh, so what they've kind of decided to do is go with no host, and they're contracting out a bunch of celebrities, including the cast of the Avengers, to just kind of come in and, and introduce one or two awards instead of having one person do the entire show.
0: I think... I I, I I know it's it's not ideal for the Academy. I know this isn't exactly what they want, but like I really do think there's some potential for... Uh, yeah, quality television in here. Like they say, the Oscars are too long. They say they need to make it more entertaining. Like maybe if you have a bit of a variety show going, different, different celebrities coming in and introducing things and bouncing off each other. And hey, do you see that last guy or whatever? Like that could be neat. I don't know. Like it, it could be kind of fun. Leave some room for improv in there and, and loosen it up a little bit. Maybe the show would be a little bit more, uh, a more engaging. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a chance to. You know, come out out of this debacle and do something really cool, maybe something really interesting, because everyone's going to be watching to see, <laughs> to see if it's a disaster or not, so I think that's it's actually a real opportunity for them to maybe turn it around and generate some more interest.
0: Mm. I do think it's interesting, uh, Kevin Hart's comments. I, I don't really have much to say about them either way, but I do, I find it, there's something about a celebrity going on a show and, and, and seeming to intend to do one thing and then go in the other way. Like that's that's just good television yeah. either way uh, we will be tuned into the Oscars here we'll do a whole episode about it just like we did last year well a whole episode we'll do an episode and a half we'll we'll, we'll do a review we'll figure it out either way keep it here for off script for more about the Oscars six weeks to go we're excited to see uh, how many awards the favorite wins yeah the best
1: Definitely. Uh,
0: <laughs> next up uh, Superman Red Sun an animated movies in the works. ...for the fabled comic. This is, of course, a, a bit of a rumor. I'm going to be honest, Andy, you stuck this in news. You're the comic man. Uh, what uh-huh. is this? So, like, fill, fill the rest of us in who have no idea.
1: Okay, so this is kind of piggybacking off last week's story... ...about uh, the long Halloween being turned into an animated film. Uh, so Red Sun is a kind of alternate universe story... ...in which Superman lands in Soviet Russia... ...and becomes a symbol of, of so, you know the, so, the Russians soviets socialism kind of the opposite of the american hero mm. um I, i'm not completely familiar with the story but i just know that's the premise but you know he grows a brush he has a gray suit that has the hammer and sickle on the chest instead of the s um so it's it's uh kind of an exciting story that that i know is really popular and so it's being It's rumored to be made into an animated film, and I'm really excited about that. I love kind of these alternate versions of of superheroes. I think there's a lot to to do there, and I wish DC would do this, bring this into their films, but at least they're doing it on the animated side. What do you think?
0: Just like Batman's news uh, last week with their new animated film they're doing over there, like you said, this is a good follow-up to that. Man, I, I can't help but be a little bummed like dc has so many cool stories and angles and like things they could do and when it comes to putting these things on screen where comic book film is 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 clearly thriving where like the genre is is seeing i mean this is the golden age of comic book adaptations like it seems like if they keep doing what they've done before they're just going to make, like, a crappy, low-budget animated movie out of it. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, even if you're going to make an animated movie, your competition is doing that better than you. They're certainly doing live better. But you've yeah. got these really fascinating stories, and, like, you could really go somewhere with that. And I, I don't want to say it's wasted here, but I, I would like to see them step up the quality of their work in on the animation side. What do you think?
1: Well, like... You know, we have the Todd Phillips Joker movie coming out next October or in October. And that's that's just a one-off. It's separate. It's not attached to the rest of the DCEU. And that's what I would like to see more of. I'd love to see this story adapted. Um, Kingdom Come, uh, which is a story where the superheroes are old. So we have like 80, 90-year-old Batman and Superman. And that that's a really great story. And I would love to see that on screen as well in film form. Um, yeah, I think people would go really nuts over over kind of these alternate versions because we we've had so much about the boy scout in blue it's been done to death kind of at this point like give us some alternate versions right give
0: us something a little different i think that was what worked so well for something like spider-man into the spider-verse is that it is a little bit of what you know and love but also variations of that that were really effective like when told together in a story like with the right writing And the right script, like I, I really think you can translate any of that to film. Um, I just, I'm not sure they're doing it in the best way. Speaking of DC, one more story this week: Aquaman tops The Dark Knight with a one billion dollar box office. Congrats to James Wan and his superhero blockbuster. Andy, you found this story. How do you feel about this?
1: You know, if you would have told me five years ago that Aquaman is going to be the property that that's going to be the best selling DC. You know, IP, I would have laughed. I would have said, no way. Aquaman's a joke. He's always kind of been a joke. No one takes him seriously. You're not going to make an interesting movie. And (laughs) I'm completely wrong. Uh, And Aquaman, it's a hit overseas. It's made a lot of money here. It will soon be the most profitable DC property, which is mind-blowing, more than Batman, more than than Superman. So it tells us a lot of what DC is doing wrong, but also maybe some of what they're starting to do right.
0: I think... There's a great analogy I heard uh, real recently. Hear me out. Here's, here's where I get on my soapbox. Wheel this out, and I can talk about DC movies for a second. Uh, Disney in Florida, right? You're familiar. Disney World, yep. of course, huge. And, and right across the street from Disney is like itty bitty Universal Studios Florida, that nobody cares about. That like is is like a if you have an extra day in your Disney resort and you got nothing to do, like yeah, maybe we'll bounce over there for a day. Maybe that'll be kind of neat. Who cares? Like, it's cute that they're running this little mock operation, but it's nothing like what Disney's doing. And then, out of the blue, Universal lands the theme park rights to Harry Potter. And suddenly, overnight, Universal is now the reason people are booking hotels in Florida. And Disney's there, of course, but they don't have harry potter they don't have that thing they don't have like this one element that makes them different and suddenly because of that one thing they're a contender and it leaves disney spinning so bad that they open avatar land in the animal <laughs> kingdom six years after the movie came out if anybody doesn't know i'm going to disney in a couple of weeks so it's not that i've been doing my research <laughs> or anything uh, but my point is dc is itty bitty Universal Studios Florida and Marvel is Disney. Literally. Like they have got to figure out a way to do what they're doing in a different way that's just as effective, if not better. And Wonder Woman was a great step towards that. And believe it or not, Aquaman is too. And I don't I don't know Which what, you
1: still haven't seen. <laughs> I yeah,
0: which I still haven't seen. I know. Believe it or not. I, I don't know what it is in those movies that work so effectively mostly because i haven't seen the second one but whatever it is like they need to just drop everything else just like they dropped henry cavill and batfleck and like run with it like whatever it is like get it get it on paper and 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 build a company around it because that's that's what you need
1: Right, so I was thinking a lot about this today. It's you know, what what is D C doing wrong and what have they started doing right? Part of what I think they did wrong was that they were trying to focus group the movies, that they're thinking, what does the audience want to see instead of Let's take these characters and put them on screen. That's what Marvel did. Marvel took the stories. They took the personalities. They took, you know, of of Tony Stark, of the Hulk, of Captain America. They put those personalities that are alive and well in the comics and they put them on screen. DC didn't do that. DC tried to reinvent the wheel for the screen and think, well, what do we need to do differently? And, you know, you got this Zack Snyder dark brooding mess of, of, of a set of films and, and a direction for half a decade that just wasn't real profitable. Now what Aquaman and Wonder Woman have done differently is like I said, like Marvel, they have focused on the character. They have made these movies kind of stand alone. They've just, it's been more interesting and, and Aquaman it's, it definitely has its flaws, but it feels like, again, it stands alone. it, Tells an interesting story. It's really about the character and the world, and not just trying to set up Justice League. Um, so I, I think they they need to t- take those things and really focus on those characters and those worlds and continue building.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't think it's any any convenience that the two films that have done the best have been about individual heroes. Like I think there's certainly certainly something to be said about that. Like it's just easier to swallow. It's easier to get into. We should probably do a Death of Cinema segment about DC and Marvel at some point soon, right? Like, come to think of it, I don't know why we haven't done that, but we'll get around to that. Uh, Subscribe for more while I'm thinking about it. It's the second shameless plug for this show. Uh, We are done with news. We should talk about our first film of the evening. I will be taking the synopsis for this. Andy's got Unbreakable on lock, so stay tuned for that. The first film is Hell or High Water. Love you, Toby. mean it. Love you, too. Ah! So, Hell or High Water is the story of two Texas boys Robin banks, and, and, and one uh, <laughs> almost retired Texas Ranger who's hot on their trail. Uh, if, you've, if you've looked at the movie poster, or you saw it when it came out in 2016, you're familiar, of course. The cast is Chris Pine and Ben Foster as the two men. Uh, the bank robbers, Chris Pine is a divorced father. Uh... Ben Foster is an ex-con. They are brothers, and they are Robin Banks together. Your, uh, your, your, your antagonist, I guess, technically protagonist. It's part of the fun of the film. Uh, uh, Texas Ranger is Jeff Bridges. They. Just kind of have this little—it's not really a shootout, but a, a, a cat-and-mouse chase, I should say, right? Like the, yeah, definitely. The, the 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 two the two men, the two robbers, as they were, uh, they're they're bouncing from town to town in Texas, from bank to bank, and they're just hitting one bank after another in this spree. Uh, and, and the Texas Rangers are just trying to catch them and catch up with them. And Jeff Bridges is doing everything he can because he's a few days away from retirement, and damn it, I, it's my last hot case. And uh, movie's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, because as it goes, you start to figure out, wait, 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 why are they hitting multiple banks? Why are all these banks in the same chain? And ultimately, I don't I don't think it's it's worth revealing in this plot summary why they're doing it, right? It's not exactly a sure, spoiler, yeah. but I. that's part of the fun. It wasn't we'll in the original wraps. trailer for the film. I didn't know it going in. Uh, it turns out there's a little bit more to it, right? All that glitters isn't quite gold, and that's part of the charm of
1: Hell or High Water. It does a lot
0: well. It does a few things... Not so great, Andy. What did you think of Hell or High Water?
1: Man, I love this movie so much. <laughs> I saw it. I saw it in theaters when it came out, and I haven't seen it since then. Um, but man, it it just has so much in it. It does so much well. Ben Foster's performance as the older brother is great. He's you know he's an ex con. He definitely loves the thrill of Robin Banks, but he's also a fam like he loves his bro- his brother. He he affectionately calls him little brother the entire. Uh, film. Um, the, the chases are kind of the cat and mouse thing is really exciting, and there's lots of, of themes here. There's themes of uh, you know, economic inequality, of the rich who rob from the poor, of the uh, kind of displacement of Native Americans. Um, and again, it's a neo western, it's out in West Texas. There's you, you got cars, you got long stretches of road. Jeff Bridges is, is brilliant, it's got a great score. Um, man, I, I really love this movie, and I love how it's told, and I love the, the depth of, of characters and the writing. It's, uh, it's so sharp. Um, so <laughs> where do we go from there?
0: Well, uh, let's talk about where this movie came from. It's written by Taylor Sheridan, uh, the, the, the writer of uh, Sicario, of course. Um, I, I don't want to say this is like out of place for him. In fact, it feels very in place. The Texas isn't exactly familiar, but his work with things on the border in Sicario makes this feel like a fairly natural setting for the characters that are in it. it. The setting feels great. As somebody who lives in Texas, that's what West Texas looks like, and I loved it. Like It's just open fields, and it's just bathed in sunlight all the time. The frame is so freaking bright always, and it's such an odd setting for a series of crimes, but it works really well because it's modern, but Texas has this, especially West Texas, has this feeling of nostalgia, everybody wears cowboy hats and boots, and there's a lot of old people, and everybody's packing heat, of course, which only yeah, makes yeah. a series of bank robberies more fun. Everybody's got an accent, everybody can kind of quickly identify each other, somebody, you know, these guys are robbing banks in ski masks, and Jeff Bridges shows up and says, you know, hey, where do you think they came from? And, and somebody will be like, oh, in town, like, they're they're local boys, like, you can yeah.
1: <laughs> you just tell. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's It's a very, like, Texas story, and it works really well, like, the movie... I don't know if it would work as well anywhere else. It, it's it, it really does play play to its setting in a fantastic way. What did you think of that?
1: Yeah, yeah. It reminds me a lot of um, No Country for Old Men. It's like the the lighter <laughs> version uh, of No Country for Old Men because, uh, like you said, this the setting is you know it's it's a tra- kind of a transition point between the old west and and the new thing and kind of this theme of passing the torch is is something that we see within the characters we see it um kind of uh there's this point where there's there's uh like a cattle train trying to escape a fire and this you know it's just so out of place but there's still there there's cars and there's money and there's this whole thing about banks robbing the people jeff bridges has this great line when he's looking for for the banker the guy in charge of a bank and he spots someone in a suit and says ah that looks like a guy who could uh, foreclose on a house <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I was impressed with the characters. Like you said, everybody's played brilliantly. If I had to say anybody didn't do a great job in here, out of the three mains, it'd probably be Chris Pine. And it's not they didn't do well. It's just Ben Foster was... He's
1: the most reserved. Yeah, definitely.
0: Ben, ben Foster, man, that, that dude's underrated. He does not get enough work. Like He's sure. really good. Yeah, and and Jeff Bridges is brilliant as always. I was talking to a co-worker about this movie. He said, you know, I think I'm at the point now where... Any, I would go see any Jeff Bridges film <laughs> if he's in it, because he's great. And he's great in this, too, and it shows. Um, the movie's got a lot of punch, all right? It's 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 very f- kind of fast, and, and things – not fast in its pacing, I should say, but fast in its energy. It just feels quick, and it moves, because these brothers are constantly in a car, on the run, hitting the road, doing the next thing. Like, they're very quickly moving through this series of banks. And uh, Jeff Bridges is struggling to keep up with them, but it's got a, it's got a good, it's got a good vibration to it. I, I don't know, and it, it feels different, and the look of it makes it feel unique. It doesn't it doesn't look quite like other movies I've seen before, and the story's pretty engaging. Honestly, I, I if I had to if I had to start claiming weaknesses here, I'd say first it'd be in the writing, which I know you you will not feel that way. <laughs> right, um, sure, but I can I can explain why. What what, what else did you like about it, and then what did you you hit me with some problems.
1: Um, well, like I said, uh, the, the themes are definitely the parts that I like the most. You know, it's got this theme of family that we ha- we see between Ben Foster and, and Chris Pine, his brothers, but also Chris Pine and his kind of a strange wife and his two sons. Um, and then Jeff Bridges, who doesn't really have a family, but his partner is kind of like his family. Um, and just the dynamics there are really interesting. Uh, also, uh, kind of this this idea of like want, wanting to die or just not wanting to retire because Jeff Bridges does not want to retire. He keeps kind of joking like, "Huh, huh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go down in a, in a big shootout in a blaze of glory. Like he does not want to retire and sit around all day. And Ben Foster's character is a little bit of that as well. I mean, he's a little bit of, of a crazy ex-con and like he, for him, there is no other life and he doesn't want to, he also isn't one uh, to settle down. There's, there's a great... Um, they they go to this casino to exchange money and to kind of launder it. And there's this great scene where where he's playing poker and he gets kind of into it with this uh, Native American. Oh, and they have this really powerful um, exchange. And he's just such a powerful character, but he's someone that he he can't just live a normal life and he knows it.
0: Mm. I... There's definitely an element to that uh, of this these characters are deeper than just what you see on screen Uh, The brother who Ben Foster's character who is an ex-con is motivations, right? Why is he? Consistently like just a bad dude like is he is is that just in his nature? Or is that who he is the way he talks to his brother conflicts with that, but ultimately his actions show that he's not a great guy Um, maybe he is Chris Pines character if he's such a good dude as a foil to his brother, why'd he get a divorce? Like, why did things work? Like, this This is one of those movies that like, it doesn't feel like it has to answer too many questions. It just drops you in the lives of other people for a little bit, and then it pulls you right back out. And like, it's it's charming in that way. It's, it's a slice of life kind of picture. Um, also with some decent action. Not the greatest, but like I said, in Texas, Everybody's packing and this movie doesn't shy away from that, which I I actually really enjoyed. that at some point it's like, okay, well, you know, it's not, it's not just cops who are upset with you. Like local townspeople are too. And I thought there was a good element of a bit of comedy in there. I, I, the reason I really struggled with this movie, the biggest thing, and this is hard to quantify because as as I've said before, (laughs) and I'll say it again, you can't, you can't dislike a movie for what it isn't. You can only appreciate it for what it is. The problem is, like you said at the beginning, this movie feels a lot like a Cohen brothers film, a yeah. lot like a Cohen brothers film. There's a, there's a lot similar to it. There's a fair bit different too. Uh, the Cohen brothers wouldn't have shot it like this. It wouldn't look like this. It would have a different look and a feel and an energy energy to it. But ultimately, it would have been
1: so much more bleak.
0: Yes. Oh, like the setting. They they like to film out in New Mexico. This is West Texas. They're not far from each other. Like I there's there's similar elements to it. And the problem is with me, the Cohen brothers, here's another analogy. I'm really getting stuck on these lately. The Cohen brothers are like, are, are like Heinz ketchup, man. They're, they're the ketchup. They're the, they're the ketchup you know and the ketchup you love. And every time you want ketchup, the Cohen brothers deliver because they've got sure. that family recipe and they got it down. And it's always good all the time because Heinz is the greatest. It's the household name. And the problem is this movie isn't Heinz. It's close, but it doesn't quite get there. And at some point it just like my brain aches for this itch to be scratched that isn't quite there. And it's I, I can't I can't nail down what that is, but ultimately like I I wonder if a movie feeling like Coen Brothers light is detrimental to the experience right. because it's not it's not quite as good, you know? What do you what mm. do you think of
1: that? Am I, I mean, nuts? No, like like I said, I definitely see parallels between this and um uh, no Country for Old Men. They both take place out in West Texas. They both take you know are dealing with this cat and mouse uh, situation. Uh, there's money involved, that that sort of thing. Um, so I, it doesn't bother me, and to me it just makes it that much cooler. But I could definitely see how you know that that's an issue. That could be an issue. Um, real quick, I, I also wanted to mention that it was nominated for four Academy Awards. It did not win any of them, but it was uh, nominated for uh, Best Picture, uh, Best Actor (Jeff Bridges), Best Original Screenplay, and Best Film Editing.
0: Mm. And it should—it's it, a great movie, especially for 2016. Like I, I there, there were a lot of standouts that year, but I remember people saying, "Hey, this movie *Hell or High Water* is really good." And I hadn't seen it before this. I'm glad I did. Um, I think you're right. You nailed, I think you nailed it great. The Coen Brothers version would have been a lot more bleak. It's true. Mm-hmm. Like, it would have been a lot more dark. I would have felt a lot more brooding. Um, and this movie didn't need that. Like I said, it, it's, it's not bad because it doesn't have that. Uh, it's, just, it's just different enough. That it's, it's its own experience. But for what it's worth, uh, we've seen much worse on this show before. <laughs> yeah, you can do much worse at the movies. So, Hell or High Water, not so bad. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Hell or High Water?
1: I would, but before I get into that, I have a quick story about it. Ooh,
0: all right, yeah, hit me with the story.
1: So at at the, you might remember this. So at the very opening, it opens with a bank robbery, and it slowly, the camera slowly pulls up to this, uh, to this bank, and you see these three crosses on this building across the street. Yeah, and, yeah, it's a
0: really cool f- shot, actually. Yeah, right as right as the camera goes into this little like drive-through, I guess, for like an ATM or something, and like the frame just closes in as you kind of zoom in on what's happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, whenever I saw that, I was like, oh man, that looks so cool. And, uh, that, that must have a, a, this really deep meaning and this foreshadowing and stuff. And then I read this article, uh, where the, the director was, someone asked the director about that shot and he was like, oh, that they just happened to be there. And it just happened to fit into the theme of the, the film. So that's, so, uh, again, it's easy to look too far in, into things, but, um, you know, he was like, oh, it was just kind of an accidentally, it was cool, cool thing to be in there. That is a cool uh, thing. So that's, uh, so that's my story about that, of looking a little bit too far into uh, background there. Uh, but yes, I would absolutely recommend this movie. It's one of my favorite neo-Westerns. Ta- Taylor Sheridan has, um, you know, he did Sicario, he did this, he also did Wind River, which is part of his, like, um, trilogy of, of neo-Westerns. I haven't seen Wind River yet. It's also available on Netflix, and this is actually available on Amazon Prime, mm, I believe. Right. But I would, I would definitely recommend it. Love all the performances, the themes, the the action. Uh, the, the I already said themes. Um, so yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, what about you?
0: I would recommend it, um, but it's I, I would recommend it by genre. I should say, if you have watched movies like Three Ten to Yuma or North Country for Old Men or any other like modern westerns and you weren't into them you could probably skip this one but if any of those have sparked your interest in the slightest or you don't have any kind of genre genre opposal to that like i'd say you'd be into it like sure yeah and it's not you know it's not a western in the way that like oh there's a duel at the end like it's not like that it's 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 evolved and it's modern and it feels relevant in, in a really engaging way but ultimately i don't think it's for everybody I kind of struggled with it, but it's still good. And I'll probably go back and rewatch it in a couple of years and think to myself, "God, what a, what a stupid review!" Like this movie <laughs> was crazy good. Um, just didn't quite grab me from the, from the start, but good stuff regardless. And that's yeah. hell or high water. We should talk about our death of cinema segment. Andy, uh, you want to take it away on this, or should I? How do How do you, you want to cut this up?
1: Uh, I'll I'll take it. I'll take Please. it. Please. This is the death of cinema. So we're talking about a story that came out uh, actually just today. Uh, Netflix is raising its prices again. Again, um, <laughs> um, it's going to be raising its subscription prices between uh, thirteen and eighteen percent for its uh, U.S. subscribers. Uh, if you are on the basic plan, you'll go from eight dollars to nine dollars. If you're on the kind of the HD standard plan, you're going to go from $11 to 13 If you're a new customer, you will start at the higher price. If you are already a subscriber, you're going to kind of phase it in over the next two months, hoping you don't notice. I probably won't. Um, but, Zach, uh, what do you think about this uh, raise in price?
0: Um, a couple things. One, I didn't know there was a separate Netflix package for 4K Premium, which I don't have, but that's going up from 14 to 16 That's kind of surprising. Uh, but I guess that's a, that's a Netflix thing. Man, I... <laughs> You sent me this article and I was like, I want to talk about this in Death of Cinema. And you were like, What are we gonna talk about? I'm like, I don't I don't I don't know. And I think it's a good place to start. <laughs> like I but but here's the thing like Netflix is ramping up into being a lot of things. Like streaming the streaming media is evolving enough to a point where on a movie podcast I feel like it's worth talking about because this is where movies are coming from now. Roma be- came out on Netflix and was huge. I don't think it's any coincidence that this follows that, but I I definitely don't think it's a coincidence that this price hike is happening right before Disney and Warner Media are planning on 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 bringing out their streaming services. Apple is working on one right now. Disney is bringing Star Wars and Marvel to to what they're doing. They're taking things away from Netflix to make it happen. I think the gloves are going to come off pretty soon. And, yeah. and Netflix is the biggest contender in streaming right now, but it, it's it's about to get nasty I think yeah, and, yeah, and I think definitely. Netflix knows that and they're trying to get in front of it and, and up that price And like you said a lot of people probably won't notice they keep making things like Stranger Things and Mindhunter but ultimately man I, I look at Netflix man, hold on Before I get too far into it, what do you think of what I just said? Is there anything to that, or am I am I nuts? No, no,
1: definitely we are. uh, You know, the streaming war is to come, (laughs) as we're going to be looking at it in these next few years. And I mean, I'm pretty excited about what Disney Plus is is going to bring. Warner Media could care less. Apple I could could care less. Um, But I mean, Disney I think will be a formidable opponent. And it's also important to to remember that you know Netflix does create a lot of original content and it's got to pay for that content some, somehow you know the beginning of this article so- says you know we're all going to pay for Bird Box you know one way or another and it's right. yeah you know if if we want to keep getting original material they're going to have to uh, up their prices at some point
0: I think like I wonder if there's a space like you just said we're all going to have to pay for Bird Box I wonder if there's a space in streaming media it's essentially, essentially what streaming media was to cable It's the answer to this, hey, I feel like I'm paying for a bunch of junk I don't watch. Because that's what it's starting to feel like. Especially if you have multiple services. Like, I can't watch Hulu, Amazon, HBO, and Netflix all at the same time. It's impossible. I can only watch, like, one. And ultimately, how many series am I going to watch across those things? Like, probably not many. I popped open HBO the other day. I was like, I haven't opened this in, like, three months. And I've been paying for it this whole time. Right. At some point, that levy breaks. Everybody's got their point where they're going to stop doing it. Netflix is upping their prices and that's great, but it's got to put it into content that matters and content that keeps people coming back Like they keep coming out with new things and that's rad, but like season two of stranger things wasn't that great Mindhunter to me got a little boring like it's different for everyone And they've got to figure out a way to have a a silver bullet model that people go. Nope I can't leave because they used to have that there was a time when Netflix upped their prices from like nine dollars to eleven or something, and that was a few years ago before something like HBO Go was out and Disney was talking about making a thing and Hulu hadn't really come into their own. I don't even know if Amazon Prime was doing video then. And mm-hmm. I remember that they, they upped their price from nine to eleven. I was like, I'd pay twenty easy. Easy for Netflix. Now right. I look at eleven to thirteen and I'm like, eh, do I really need that? Like it, <laughs> yeah. the market is growing in a way that like I, I don't know how much longer they can keep playing the game. But They've evolved. They've come this far. Uh, I, I, I might be totally full of it. What do you think of that?
1: Um, adaptations can be the name of the game. And I mean, I, I subscribe to Netflix, Amazon Prime, and uh, HBO now. Welcome home. <laughs> Th- yeah. That we that we don't have a, our, our deal anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, it wasn't so, a deal. <laughs> it's fine. We had a deal. It wasn't a deal. You, so, you were using <laughs> my
0: stuff without my, my knowledge or permission. Like, it, there was no deal there.
1: um yes uh, but that's my limit i'm not gonna i won't be adding disney to this i will swap disney for one of these services and it might be netflix uh so we'll see i mean i think their content has been getting better i mean something like roma battle of buster scruggs those are both like were high on my on my list uh they've had a couple of really good tv things um so uh, we'll see, I, you know, if D- Disney comes swinging uh, that big mouse hammer, that uh, who knows?
0: Yeah, who does know? And, and like, I just, I, like, I know people starting to make illusions, like, oh, it's starting to feel like cable. It is, though. Like, it's starting to get to a point where I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, do I, re- do, do I really need to subscribe to Netflix uh, outside of, like, the season of Stranger Things? Like, do I really need it? Look at Hulu. Like, they have so much of what Netflix has. Do I really need Hulu? Can I ditch that for a while? Like, it's starting to get to a point where, yes, uh, it doesn't seem like much that Netflix can up this two dollars, but when I'm when I'm already nickel and diamond to try to figure out like who I should keep and who I should get rid of, I don't know, man. You're you're two dollars away from ad free Hulu now, which I mean, that's a whole other beast. But like, yeah. that's that's what I mean. You're you're two dollars away from HBO now. Like, what do I? What's the value here? And, and I'll be interested to see how Disney premieres because Disney might. Disney might might go the way of HBO When HBO came out they said $15 and everybody's like, "Oh god, 15." Like that's that's extreme. Yeah, but we're <laughs> yeah. HBO. Disney might do the same thing. They might be like, "Yeah, 20. Like we know it's a lot. We're Disney. Like that's that's yeah. what you pay to get to get this content." So I don't know, but So I, what I'm I've heard that on,
1: on that topic, I've heard that Disney because they will be entering the market anew is planning on coming in under Netflix. They're looking at that 10 that nine ten dollar range,
0: yeah, and they should. If they if they could land single digits, that'd be tremendous.
1: Yeah, um, I I just get, do you.
0: No, I I don't have much more to say about this. I just I don't know. Do you, do you look at content on Netflix when you scroll through your Netflix feed, and do you think I'm really glad I paid for this, or at some point do you wonder like what the hell am I paying eleven dollars for? Like well, half you know, of these things I'm never gonna watch. You know, like these are this is crappy made for TV stuff. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's the kind of thing I compare it to going. To, you know, I paid about ten, twelve bucks to go see see a, a one off film in in the theater. You know, that's two hours of entertainment. So I, you know, am I getting two hours or more entertainment a month on Netflix? And the answer is absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when, when I think of it in terms of entertainment, uh, absurd or. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Anyways, two hours of entertainment versus what I pay, it's a pretty great breakdown. Uh, so yeah. I'll probably keep it long term, but, but we'll see. And the nice thing is, you know, you can suspend your account any, yeah. anytime you want.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I've i started to see a rise in apps that are, uh, they like add up all your streaming services and show how much you're paying for each one each month. And, and let me tell you, like, the longer we go, the more I'm thinking, like, maybe I should. Get one of those. Of course, i got to pay for that, I'm sure. But, like, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah, it might might be good to keep tabs on that and go, oh, okay, Netflix is raising the prices? Eh, how much did I use that, you know? If we get, like, a screen time for, for iPhones, what if we had that for streaming services? Right. And I'm sure Netflix would never, oh, my God, they would never make that where you could click and see, oh, you watched one hour of Netflix last month. Like, never would they make that for you. Of course they won't. But, like, at some point... It adds up. The market gets oversaturated. People are going to start picking and choosing. You know, I, I, I don't know where Netflix is going to be and all that. So I guess we'll have to see. The last movie we have uh, for today's episode. Andy, you graciously agreed to take the premise for this. Please take it away.
1: M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable.
0: Why are you looking at me like that? There are two reasons why I'm looking at you like this. One, because it seems you aren't the only survivor of this train wreck. And two, you don't have a scratch on you.
1: So we're taking a look back at uh, this his movie that came out in 2000 in anticipation of the release of Glass, which comes out this week, which is the surprise follow-up to Split, which was the surprise follow-up to Unbreakable. Um, this is one of my... Favorite film, this might be my favorite film of him This is back when, you know, people were talking about Shyamalan being the next Spielberg And he's, he was coming hot off the heels of The Sixth Sense Which was a kind of, you know, beginner's luck masterpiece right out of the gate um, Anyways, the story uh, takes place in Philadelphia And involves Bruce Willis, who's just kind of a mundane, everyday man He is struggling in his marriage with uh, Robin Wright Penn, or Robin Wright as she is now um, he is a security guard at a stadium. He's you know kind, kind of bored, kind of sad at life, nothing special. Uh, at the beginning of the film, he is riding on a train, which eventually crashes and kills everyone on board except him. And not only is he alive, he is completely unharmed. No bumps, no bruises, no broken bones. It's a miracle. And uh, he just kind of, you know, thinks he's lucky and, uh, you know, starts to maybe rethink his marriage, this sort of thing. And then he gets a a note, mysterious note on his car that says, have you ever been sick any day in your life? And he begins to kind of think, well, have I? And he, you know, starts asking his wife, starts asking around work. And he goes to the man who delivered this note, uh, which is a man named Elijah Price, played brilliantly by Samuel L. Jackson, who is the a curator of a high-end comic book and art store. And uh, he asked him, what does this mean? And uh, Mr. P- Mr. Price, he's, he kind of posits this um, kind of unbelievable possibility that, you know, maybe you are more man than you think you are. And we learn that Elijah Price actually suffers from a genetic condition where he's very brittle. His bones break at the slightest, uh, you know, fall, they call him Mr. Glass. He's, you know, it's the kids called me that because I would shatter, and uh, he he says, if I'm on one end of the spectrum, maybe there's someone on the other end, someone who doesn't get sick, someone who doesn't get hurt, and maybe that person is you. So that's that's the setup, and the film is it's about myths and heroes and comic books, and it's not so much a comic book movie as it is a movie about comics and about myths and, and legends in modern day. Um, Zach, what did you think of this? Man,
0: there's a lot about this movie that I liked. I hadn't seen it before this, and I, and I wanted to, and I remember people saying, hey, you should check out Unbreakable. It's not that bad. It's really not that bad. <laughs> Every conversation I heard about this movie started with, it's really not as bad as people say. It's not as bad as people think. It's not that bad. So I think if we're going to talk about this movie, a great place to start is, is A, what does it do right because it does a lot right. B, what does it do wrong? And C, what the hell happened? Why, like, why did people completely shelve this? Because looking back in the most rose-colored glasses of ways, Unbreakable, similar to the original Blade, uh, starring Wesley Snipes, laid a lot of groundwork. And it might have seemed hokey at the time, but ultimately looking at where we are now, it's, it's undeniable that this movie... In some way, had something to do with that. Uh, it did things before superhero movies were doing them uh, in 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 a in a theatrical capacity like Iron Man or Marvel is. It it, it did things um, before other people, and the world didn't care. It was it was too early. It, it, it I don't know. Yeah, we should yeah. talk about that. We should talk about what happened with Unbreakable. Um, but before we get there, let's talk about what works in this movie. All right. How about you? Some standout features. Obviously, you've, you've clearly stepped up your, your summary game for this one. You, you beat me to, 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 to a bloody pulp. So, yeah, what, what did you like about
1: Unbreakable? Uh, so, it's really grounded in reality. You know, it, it takes this idea of what, what if you started to slowly discover... I mean, it's an origin story, essentially, but it, it really takes its time and, and has a very grounded effect of what if you were stronger than you thought you were? What if you were more resilient? And what would that mean? And and how would you really find out? You know how the way David Dunn slowly begins to realize that he, he he is stronger than everyone. He doesn't get hurt. He you you know he but he has some weaknesses as well. Just the way the story unravels is really brilliant. Um, Samuel L. Jackson is really strong as well. His character. Um, as this kind of mysterious and a bit of a jer- jerk, uh, as well, is really foreboding. The other thing is the story, the, the family drama is really strong. That's part of the reason this works, is because, you know, Bruce Willis is, is someone who isn't happy with his life, who, you know, looked like he was going to have a star career in football before uh, an injury. And, you know, he, he's, a, he's purposely at the stadium because he, he likes football. He, he looks on at the practice field like, man, that could have been me. That could have been, I could have been the, the star. And he's just, he's, he talks about having this daily sadness uh, when he wakes up in the morning. He's a man without purpose. And this affects his relationship with his son and also his relationship with uh, his, his wife. And that, the relationship is a big part of the, the mythos here. Um, so, like I said, as, as an origin story, it works so well.
0: I was really impressed with, one, the characters. I, I think that's a good place to start there because there's, there's a lot to unpack from what you just said, so let me let me try to get into it. Um, everybody's played great. Uh, Shout-out to, to Robin Wright Penn, at the, who, who his issue is listed in the, in the credits, not just Robin Wright, uh, as, as David Dunn's wife. Uh, Bruce Willis is, is real quality Bruce Willis as David Dunn. I, I do feel like he struggled to connect with the character from any kind of personality level I couldn't tell if he was supposed to be like a meek unassuming dude or if he was supposed to be like Bruce Willis playing Bruce Willis you know like I it kind of blurs definitely towards the end of the movie but at the beginning when he's on the train and he's talking to some lady sitting next to him he's a little bit a not quite Bruce I was like okay you're, you're a character here like you're not just Bruce Willis like this this you feel like somebody else and and like I appreciated that as the movie went on and David Dunn kind of becomes this, this, this new identity of himself. Like, you feel that. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson was great as, as, as Elijah, uh, Mr. Glass. He was a lot of fun. Um, I, I loved, there's things I, I liked about the writing and there's things I didn't like about the writing. I'll get to that in a minute. Setting, the color of this movie is so freaking blue and it was great. It's got its yeah. own unique palette. It feels like its own thing. Like you look at Sixth Sense and ultimately, like that movie doesn't add up visually very well. It doesn't, it doesn't hold up that great because Shyamalan was just trying to film it and it's kind of dark, but it ultimately it's this thing. This movie has a whole scheme to it. It was like everything was filmed with the idea that things were gonna be blue and whites and blacks, very reminiscent of the poster of the film, which is very appropriate. It's in New York. There's a lot of cars and screeching and, and, and small spaces for these characters to interact in. Uh, Doc, uh, Mr. Glass's shop is is gorgeously ornate. Like things, it's, it's it's got a, it's got a look to it that's unique. It wasn't just like, hey, we're gonna get some soundstage and film these people. Like they really did put some time and effort into the setting, the clothing, the, the set dressing. All of that looks fantastic, and and the characters are performed very well to boot.
1: Yeah, one of the things that that really impresses me is the mystery of of it all. You know we. It's mysterious why he gets this note at the beginning. It's mysterious why he is unharmed at the very beginning uh, of the movie as well, um, and the kind of how he begins to test his his resilience, his his strength, his you know what, how much can can he take, um, you know that kind of superhero stuff. And the other thing, and there's a great conversation that Samuel L. Jackson's character has. About how you know he believes comic books to be an extension of, of or kind of the next step in myths and legends, where all myths and legends kind of are rooted in reality and then are kind of exaggerated over time, and he believes that comic books are the, the kind of the next evolution of that.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, we should talk about the writing. Um, I liked the broad strokes writing of this of this movie, like the the general stuff. Like, the idea of these two characters that are polar opposites that find each other. Great. Like, the way these characters are written and, and the way they interact with each other and how Mr. Glass is kind of this bitter guy, but ultimately, in a way, an optimist who hopes for, like, more than, than just the world he's come to know, that hopes that the world is bigger and better than, like, what he's already familiar with. Uh, David Dunn is this, is this pessimist, this cynic who, who, who starts to come around and believe in something bigger than himself. Um that's all great. That's great stuff. The way David's life has segmented off his wife and his child and how they they come to know each other better through this is fantastic. Um all of that felt good. The script, however, is a little clunky. It's a little it's a yeah, little it's a little Shamalon script. There's some lines in here <laughs> that like Robin Robin Wright and 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 Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson tried to deliver that I'm just like that doesn't that doesn't sound like a real thing anybody would say. Like the way it's written just doesn't feel natural. It feels jilted. It feels stunted a little bit. Did you did you ever get that? Did you feel that at all?
1: Yeah, actually the, at the very beginning after the train crash when the doctor's talking to him about you know, he says something like, you know, if you, I'm looking at you like this because blah 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 da, blah blah blah. and it's just like no one would say that that way. You know, there there are definitely some awkward parts of the writing but and it's weird because some of the writing is so good like again some of the conversations between uh david dunn and mr glass are are excellent uh but then some of them are really kind of awkward and weird
0: yeah the the, the scene that really comes to mind where i really noticed it is when uh robin wright Penn is uh talking to david about she's, she's inquiring about whether or not he's had an effect. And and her scripting in that is just so. It's not it's not wrong. It's just it's eccentric. just awkward. Yeah. yeah. It's like people. Don't, it's almost like they're trying to read a we, a Wes Anderson script. But they don't have Wes Anderson direction. They're like, Oh, here's where you put the emphasis on this, and here's how this matters, and here's how you should deliver that. Like it just didn't come. doesn't come through. Um, the writing and the directing don't quite match up there. And of course, is written and directed by Mr. Shyamalan. So take that up with him, I guess. Uh, I I thought pacing was a little odd uh specifically the the, the scene that I, that really felt strange was uh when David Dunn is is lifting weights and he's slowly adding more and discovering oh I can lift more and more and more here like this isn't that bad that scene is like six minutes and I'm like okay like just get to the goods Yeah, I kept kept thinking
1: it was going to end, and then it didn't.
0: It just keeps going. Yeah, that's what I
1: mean.
0: (laughs) And it's not that it's poorly shot. Like, every time it cuts, it goes to something interesting and new at a different angle, and, like, it all looks good. There's this great shot where he goes to lift the weight off him, and the camera kind of comes down with the weight and then goes back up, and it kind of breathes with him. Like, that's, it's really neat. But, like, I don't don't know. Yeah, the pacing was just funky. Uh, what, What do you think?
1: It definitely is slow the first time. I, I I think it's one of these things, like the Sixth Sense, it's actually more fun on the second view. There, there's a lot, actually, that's said in that initial train conversation that you don't think about the first time, but that's actually really relevant. Yeah. Uh, second time through, that part alone is worth watching. But, yeah, the, the pacing, if you're new to it, it, it can feel a little slow and a little bogged down um, sometimes.
0: Yeah, and ultimately, I, I think this is probably a fine place to start transition into why isn't this movie more highly regarded? Uh, I wonder if the ending left a bad taste in people's mouths.
1: Yeah, the the, the movie should definitely end before it does. It, it goes on about five minutes too long and it somewhat spoils itself. This was back when, you know, The Sixth Sense had such a big twist that people were expecting an equally big twist um, in Unbreakable. And so then he tried to kind of shoehorn one in and it's not... First of all, if you're sitting there waiting for a twist, you're never going to be satisfied by it if there is one. Second of all, it's not that good.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> once, it, once it gets there, it's hamfisted. It is, and and like looking back and understanding, okay, now there's there's two sequels to this movie. I I mean I'd say it kind of fits, but like even then it doesn't because it still somehow has an extremely abrupt ending. It reminds me of like Monty Python and the Holy Grail when they ran out of money and they couldn't film the ending to the movie, so they're like ah oh, just cut to text, it's fine. Like it just it comes out of nowhere and like I, I think that really soured a lot of people leaving the theater. They're like yeah the ending sucked. And like I like I'm not saying I was talking again coworker at work about this. It's like, I'm not saying a superhero movie needs to have a big showdown. But it needs to have some kind of showdown. And this one, in a very shamlon way, kind of doesn't. Like, it gets up to that moment, and then David Dunn, I think, realizes he's a human being and, like, he doesn't have to brawl or fight. He can, he can be more than that. But it lacks satisfaction because you don't have that. Like, you don't, you don't have to get in a fistfight. All right, that's not what I'm saying. But, right. like, there has to be some kind of turn there has to be some kind of like okay we've learned something from this and grown and this you you don't get that you don't get that exposition
1: see i i really that is the one part i really like is and this is where i think dc misses the the mark where they don't they're missing comic book moments in their comic book movies at one point Point like I said, when you're reading a comic and there's a great line delivered, or you do a page turn and there's like, wow, this villain shows up out of nowhere that you haven't seen in you know five years or something like that. Um, we get a little bit of that when David Dunn towards the end begins to really embrace who he is and kind of finds a mission. I, I do like uh, those that very long scene where he he kind of goes on a rescue uh, mission, uh, and there's a flashback that's also really powerful. I like those, and I really. To me, those are the climactic points, but then it just kind of goes on too long and it's very <laughs> unsatisfying. We, um, should,
0: we should wrap this conversation up, um, but before we get to right. recommendations, let's talk about, real quick, um, yeah, why, why do you think this movie didn't do great? What hurt it? Uh, and, and is it better now than it was back then,
1: I guess? I think it, definitely stepping away from it, it's it's definitely better than... Most people will probably remember. Again, there was so much hype behind it because of... I mean, it it literally came out a year after uh, The Sixth Sense. So not a whole lot of time. Um, And it's also... It's it's really pretty thought-provoking. There's a lot in there. And this was before, again, before the whole superhero thing and before everyone understood it and was all nerding out about superheroes and origin stories and all that kind of stuff. And so it's... I think it was a little much for... Uh, audiences back of the day and I wanted to mention real quick there are some moments in this that are uh, influenced heavily by horror um, that I think are really effective and we don't see a lot of that in superhero movies so I think that's just one little touch that that's done really well
0: yeah it's a shame that the the horror angle is something i I remember us saying that the uh, who is it universal's dark universe should really lean into and and they didn't because horrors not mainstream or whatever but um I I think, yeah, a couple of things. One, at the time, when it came out in two thousand, like comic books were not they were not that hot in the mainstream. Like people looked at some dude that had a comic book art gallery, Mr. Glass in the movie, who wouldn't sell a piece of comic book art to some dad because he was like, This isn't, isn't a children's toys, is art like no. He just comes off as pretentious and like people didn't connect with him and, and I think I, th- I think the 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 pacing hurt it, and and its script hurt it. But like again, the the broad stroke concept writing is really good stuff. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's an engaging movie. I enjoyed watching it. I'm glad I did. I, I wish other people had enjoyed it more than I think it aged great, and I'm glad because it it probably deserves it. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Unbreakable?
1: Absolutely. This is kind of peak Shyamalan this is when he was first out of the gate when he was really making great movies because he made Six Sense he made Unbreakable and then he went on to do Signs and then things started kind of going downhill for about 10 years and he's kind of <laughs> like a he's decade kind of, he's, yeah he's kind of you know the Shyamalan essence might be happening we'll we'll see um, but it, you know good performances all around really kind of c- cerebral as much as <laughs> I hate to use that word yeah um it, and again, I just want to look this up. So this came out before, uh, or maybe right after the X-Men movie, which kind of kicked off the uh, superhero thing, at least a little bit back in 2000. Um, but it's definitely one of my favorite Shyamalan movies, and there's so much mood, and I, I like the score. And I'm yeah, I'm anxious to see what he's doing going to do in the next two movies, and I'm going to try and watch Split before uh, Glass comes out this weekend.
0: Yeah. You're right. It is surprising this came out the same year as X-Men. That does not do it. Any favors, because if at the time if I if I had gone to see two superhero films, I would have thought X Men was better. Easy, I, I honestly, I don't want to say I still might, but hey, man, X Men has aged great. Thank you very much. That that movie's a treasure. All right, and uh, I would recommend Unbreakable as well. It's not for everybody, and I think there's going to be a fair number of people who are are mainstream superhero comic book fans in film. They're going to think this movie's lame. But if you're, if you're bored, if you've, if you've seen 20 Marvel films and, and, and you want something a little different and, and you're anticipating Glass uh, or, or um, Split if you haven't seen it like myself, um, check it out. It, it is not a chore to sit through. It, it is not like, a, you know, it's not a hassle. Like it's really not that bad. I think you might be surprised at how much you enjoy it. Um, I had problems with it, but ultimately I think it's a pretty good flick. Uh, and I'm bummed it didn't get the. Uh, it, I'm bummed didn't get its due, at the time. And with that, that wraps our show. Uh, believe it or not, a fa- fast episode this week. Uh, if you enjoyed the news conversation, if you want to know more about X, uh, X-Men, uh, uh, Superman, Red Sun, uh, if if Netflix should not be upping prices, or maybe they should. Uh, if, this, if there's anything this Disney thing, a whole host of other questions, I'm sure I could make up on the spot. If you enjoyed the show, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Leave a rating. Leave a review if you would swing it. But ratings are easy. You just hit a star. It's a breeze. Five stars if you could swing it. Thanks. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, check out our website at offscriptfilmreview.com. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're around. Come hang out. Tell us you love the show. Tell us you hated the show because the show wouldn't exist without you guys, and we appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, From all of us at Offscript, oh, next week. My God, I didn't talk about it. Hiatus (laughs) next week. That's what's happening. Because two things. One, January, and there's nothing good out. And and rather than force it, we thought, you know what, let's just take a break. We'll come back strong. And two, I'm doing that Disney thing. Like I said, which is very exciting. So uh, stay tuned for what we'll be doing. Keep it right here on Offscript. Uh, From all of us here at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Thanks for listening.